Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Priscillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. As always, we remind you to please download the Veritas Catholic Network radio mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And if you like what Joe and I do, you can also follow us on social media. We're at the Frontline TV or the Frontline with Joe and Joe, primarily on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, and do all that fun stuff. And now I start every show by saying how we are going into the breach. And when you're rolling up your sleeves and you have to get into what is the preeminent moral issue of our time, okay, you are in the breach, and that is abortion. And we brought on Alexandra DeSantis to talk to us about her new book, Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. Now, some of you out there may know Alexandra. Quick bio, and we're going to jump right into it because uh, we only have Alexandra for a half hour today. Uh, Alexandra DeSantis is a staff writer for National Review and a visiting fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. She was previously a William F. Buckley Fellow in political journalism with the National Review Institute and is a graduate of the University of Notre Dame. Alexandra DeSantis, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you. It's our honor. I'm going to hand it over to Joe and we'll get started. We'll start with a quick prayer uh, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, but for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Alexandria, I love the title of the book because it's bold. And this is a great, great way to begin the conversation. You argue in this book that abortion has undermined our society's vision of what it means to be human. You also argue that abortion has harmed every element of our society. That is 100% correct. I want you to elaborate on that. And because, like I said, it's a bold statement. It has to be said more because it's true. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for starting there because the, the kind of, I think what makes our book unique uh, is that pro-lifers have been saying for decades now or, you know, throughout human history, I suppose, that life begins at conception, that every human life is valuable, has dignity, has moral worth, and deserves to be protected. And that's 100% true, right? That's the fundamental harm of abortion is that the unborn child is killed. Um, but if if that's true, right, if we know that that's the case, how could that not harm our society? How could we not all be deeply uh, harmed by the fact that we're killing innocent human beings by the hundreds of thousands every year, that this, this killing, this legalized killing um, is enshrined in our society, is widely accepted, that people think this is morally acceptable, that our law considers it acceptable. Um, that must harm every aspect of our society, including the mothers who choose abortion, the doctors who perform abortions, uh, you know, the, the politicians who advocate abortion, and, and on down the list. Alexandra, let me ask you a question. Um, 
you know that over the last 50 years, not that we're in the business of winning arguments. We're not in the business of winning arguments. We're in the, we're in the business of recognizing the value of every human life. That's what we're trying to emphasize. But on one level, we've won every argument. Okay. Now, I want to know if you agree with this, because I say we've won every argument. That's why you're seeing such a shrill reaction from the left in particular, okay, when it comes to the leaked uh, decision from the Supreme Court and just the prospect of Roe versus Wade getting overturned. They know they have nothing left other than violence. It seems that way to me. That seems to be the direction they're going is they're shouting their abortion. You know, like you see them, they shout their abortion. They're proud. of. They know that they've lost, they lost the scientific argument, the philosophical argument, the moral argument, the legal. They're about, they're about to go down in flames on the legal argument. OK, talk about that. Is that all they have left? In other words, yeah. it, it, they're showing their, their, their lack of a value for human life in their reaction to, their, to them not being able to legally terminate human life. Am I wrong in my assessment? No, I think you're on the right track. And and to me, you know, we've seen this spate of violence in the wake of, of this leaked, um, you know, draft opinion. And I think that's kind of the best sign yet that they don't have any argument left that they think they can win. And you hear a lot of times from abortion supporters, if Rose overturned, abortion will be illegal. That's simply factually not the case, right? If it, the decision, if Rose overturned the way we expect it to be um, any day now, the decision is going to go back to each state. All 50 states are going to set their own abortion law. And so pro-lifers for the past 50 years have been saying, let's just fight for the opportunity to pass laws to protect unborn children. We'll just fight one step at a time and do the best we can. But abortion supporters, conversely, are not saying that, right? They're not saying, okay, if we lose at the Supreme Court, we'll just go to the states, we'll pass as many you know, pro-abortion laws as we can, we'll fight in, in the court of public opinion as hard as we can. They don't want to do that. They want to keep abortion enshrined at the national level, abortion on demand through the entire country with no pro-life laws forced on the entire country by the Supreme Court because they know they have a bad argument, right? And so at the prospect of losing that kind of regime that's been imposed by the Supreme Court for 50 years now, they're terrified. And all they have left to do is, you know, try to shoot people and and break the windows at at pro-life centers across the country. Well, we pray that that doesn't come to that. Uh, We are speaking with Alexandra DeSantis at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network. Her book, out from Regnery Press, is uh, Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. Joe Racinello. Well, let's talk about a a post-Roe America. I mean, I think it's going to happen, you know. um, But I read something in First Things that really made me think. I mean, obviously... Uh, you know, getting rid of Roe, there's still going to be abortion in America. Certain states are going to embrace it, as we just stated. Um, What I'd like to talk about is basically how does our government help women, particularly financially, to keep their children? I mean, this is another aspect that I think that the right isn't talking about, but it has to be talked about. Because listen, not everybody is in, in a financial good place. And I mean, a lot of times that's what drives women to get these these abortions. They don't want to abort their child. They shouldn't. Obviously, they don't. A lot of them don't know about resources like the Sisters of Life, good council homes, places like that. But at the same time, you know, our country doesn't value large families anymore. Our country, they talk about, you know, child care, but that's not the answer either. What is your thoughts on this? Because, you know, we have to be a culture of life and it's not just about ending abortion legally. Obviously we want to do that. That's our first step, but then we got to, what do we do next? 
Yeah, well, that's the million dollar question, I think, and, and pro-lifers have been grappling with that for, for decades now, but this is kind of the moment of decision here, if we hopefully are moving forward into a post-Roe America, that's going to be the pressing question, right? And we talk about this, Ryan Anderson and I, in, in the conclusion of the book, that this needs to be a both-and approach by the pro-life movement, right? We want to both uh, deal with kind of the, the demand for abortion, we want to reduce demand for abortion, and we want to reduce the supply of abortion. So that's kind of uh, regulating abortion, eliminating it as much as possible but also making making it unthinkable, right? We're always going to have abortion if, as you put it, uh, you know, there are women who are in a situation that makes them think abortion is their only option. Uh, and so making abortion illegal is not, not the only solution here, although that's, of course, a necessary step. Uh, but the problem is that's a very complex uh, issue to solve, right? There's not just one thing you can hand women to make them not want abortions anymore. And, and part of it might be, uh, you know, money. Maybe it's a, a federal program. A lot of um, our pro-life friends on the kind of left-leaning side would say maybe we need more federal money for families, federal uh, money for, for parents of children um, with many children, or maybe it's some a program at the state level. Uh, I think all this should be up for debate. From, from my perspective, I think the most effective thing is kind of a grassroots level pro-life, uh, you know, resource centers, communities, churches kind of stepping up and like you say, affirming the importance of big families, walking alongside parents in need. Um, and I think that's you know, nine times out of 10, 10 times out of 10 gonna be more effective than a government program. Uh, but Ryan and I do believe all this ought to be up for debate, uh, charitable debate amongst pro-lifers. Well, it, it, it should, but, you know, we, 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 though my fear in that, and I agree with both of you, okay, I, I, I don't want to come across, I want to preface this by saying I'm not trying to be cold about this, but at the end of the day, okay, I'm under no moral obligation, I want to say this, to want it to, I am from Jesus Christ, okay, let's, let's be clear, and I'm supposed to help anybody, and I want to help these women, but they're using it as an excuse, and yes, this is an us and them thing, okay, those who want to kill babies and those who do not, and want to protect human life, okay? This, I'm under no obligation, okay? I didn't force a woman to get pregnant. She has reproductive freedom. I like to break the, the news to them, okay? It was before she walked, and I'm not blaming just a woman, please. But where I'm going with that is that you're right. It's got to be on the table. It's got to be up for the bait. I think we should be open-minded to it. But again, on a state level, how about this for a start? How about we start promoting big families? Joe and I are old enough to remember Alexandra DeSantis joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. When, when, when things happen in families, like the young teenage girl gets pregnant and abortion was unthinkable, there was big families there to support her, okay? She could stay in school. She could get a job. She could do all the things she need to do. We don't do that anymore. We've destroyed everything that's necessary in this country so that that woman would have a support system, namely a large family. So I agree with you. I'm sorry. That's my little my little diatribe, Alexandra. I apologize because, you know, everybody's like, well, we have to help these people. Let's help them by convincing them first not to kill their babies. And then let's move forward from there. Joe Racinello. Well, let's talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, because clearly we all know her position on abortion. But she said something. She said it, not me, not Joe Pasillo, that I think is very interesting. And, and it's not explored enough. She said, uh, basically, um, the modern abortion movement has embraced an effort to avoid populations that we don't want to have too many of. Now, that is a disturbing statement. 
Very disturbing statement. People don't talk about this. They don't talk about the majority of women who have abortions are African-American and Latino. They don't talk about that Planned Parenthood clinics. I think it's in the 80 percentile. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Any of our listeners, I know it's well above 50 percent are in walking distance from poor and minority neighborhoods. And that is what she's alluding to. Please speak to that because no one talks about that. And that has to be brought up. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad you raised that. And that's something we dive into in great detail in the third chapter of our book. We talk about uh, not only kind of the the current status quo of how abortion happens in our country, which you just alluded to, but uh, also the history of the the pro-abortion movement, as they would put it, the abortion rights movement. Um, Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was not, you know, a, a pro-abortion activist by any means. Her views on abortion were kind of hazy. And in some instances, she said she might be okay with it in some circumstances and others, she said she didn't think it was a solution. So that's not super clear. But we do know that she and her fellow uh, eugenicists had a uh, a program of legalized birth control, of uh, forcible sterilization, coerced sterilization that they were promoting through partly through Planned Parenthood because they wanted to reduce what they saw as unfit populations, which is non-white populations, people they thought were Uh, you know, not of high intelligence or whatever other moniker you want to put to it. They wanted to preserve white Yankee stock. Um, They were eugenicists. And this was a very prominent uh, movement in the progressive, um, like the 1920s progressive movement. And that is what has sort of morphed into the the pro-abortion movement. Once abortion uh, became kind of this linchpin of of the the second wave feminists, uh, a lot of eugenicists sort of cottoned on to that. And, you know, that's not to say that Planned Parenthood today is hoping to exterminate non-white people. I don't think that most Planned Parenthood employees have that in mind at all, if, if any. Uh, but that's certainly how abortion plays out. Um, and, and the statistic you mentioned, it is true. Upwards of 80% of Planned Parenthood clinics are located in walking distance of, of low-income or minority neighborhoods. Um, and one horrible statistic I often point to is that uh, in recent years in New York City, more black babies have been aborted than born alive. Uh, And the scary thing is that when you point to that as a pro-lifer, abortion advocates say that's a good thing, right? These women need abortion and they're getting it. And I say that's horrible, right? Abortion um, is not a solution. And the fact that these populations are are choosing abortion at a higher rate is an evil, awful thing that we should be very concerned about. You One know, during Bloomberg, is I want to hit. Go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, during Bloomberg's uh, term, I don't know if it was uh, what term it was. He obviously served three as the mayor of New York. That was a billboard that was made to come down. He made it come down, stating that fact. That is a fact. And to your point, I have seen this argued on MSNBC, saying that this is a good thing that they're going to be hurt the most. How could that possibly help? minority women. How? How? I, I and, and if you can't identify, everyone's talking about systemic racism, systemic racism. That's the largest example of systemic racism there is. It's not in Darien, Connecticut, that the abortion clinic is. It's not in wealthy communities in New Jersey or Westchester. Joe, let me, Joe, let me piggyback off that to ask Alexandra a question. Alexandra DeSantis joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. The book that she has written with Ryan Anderson, Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion harms everything and solves nothing. Am I wrong, Alexandra, to ask, why do we not remind these people? Now, like you said, do, do some of the rank and file of Planned Parenthood know what they're doing is is pretty much blatantly racist, okay? Probably not. Um, sorry, I'm not as merciful or charitable when it comes to those who run 
Planned Parenthood and who are responsible for big abortion in this country. Why is it that you you mentioned slavery? All right, you can mention the Holocaust. The language that they use to support abortion and to justify abortion is the same language that was used by the Nazis and the slave owners. They justified it by the dehumanization of the human person. Yes, the human person. I know that bugs a lot of people out there. Oh, it's a clump of cells. No, it's not. It's a human person. Okay, it should be recognized as such from the moment of conception because every point after that is arbitrary. Okay, and there should be nothing arbitrary in the you know in the way we look at abortion. Now, my my question was, why do we not point out to them to let them know to edify them perhaps? Okay, the language that they use is the same as the biggest butchers in history. They dehumanize. The victim, and then they 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 seek to uh, make it legal to kill that victim, or in the case of slavery, enslave that victim. Am I wrong, Alexandra DeSantis, in my assessment of that? And why don't we point this out to them more often? Yeah, I think there are obviously some very clear parallels there, striking and horrible parallels. And I, I have seen a, a bit of this in the pro-life movement. In particular, I would cite the work of the Radiance Foundation, which is run by Ryan Bomberger and his wife, Bethany, and they, they draw a lot of attention uh, to kind of the disparity in the abortion rate between white and black populations or non-white and white populations. Um, that would be one. And there's a, a huge movement of African-American pro-lifers who are just, all, all they do is focus on the, this disproportionate abortion rate in their own communities. Uh, and, and they do speak a lot about slavery. They, they call it a black genocide. They call abortion a black genocide. So it is out there. And I, I fear that the problem is it doesn't get attention because pro-abortion uh, kind of the loudest voices in our media, our politicians won't talk about it. They don't want to talk about it in those terms. But your point is exactly right. And, and we talk about not only the, the kind of race aspect, like I mentioned in our book, but our first chapter talks a lot about what you mentioned, uh, dehumanization and the depersonification of the unborn child, right? And we make the point that um, this has been done throughout human history always by the oppressors, right? There is not a single example in human history of an argument to dehumanize a human person or to, to remove personhood, personhood from a human being used in the name of justice, equality, uh, freedom, right? They've always been used in the name of oppression to, to harm the vulnerable, to uh, enslave to exterminate. Uh, that's always what these arguments are used for. And it's happening again with abortion. Right. So it's so unfortunate. Alexander Sankis, you can't imagine how happy we are, Joe and I, that you're on the show to talk about this. And you've written this book with Ryan Anderson. We encourage everyone to go out and buy it. Uh, we still have some more questions for you that we're going to pepper you with. But real quick, where could folks buy the book? They can buy it at either Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Uh, it'll be out June 28th. So you can pre-order now or uh, buy it once it's on the shelves. Absolutely. Alexandra, um, Alexandra DeSantis has written the book with Ryan Anderson, Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. Joe Resinello, where do you want to go? You hear the word science, science, everything's science. Um, but, you know, you explore this in the book, and I think we need to talk about it. You basically say how major medical organizations have lied about the reality of abortion, and they've turned themselves into partisan activist groups. We've seen this in the transgender movement with children. Our current president said on CNN that he supports eight-year-olds transitioning. I have an eight-year-old daughter. If someone suggested that to me, I'd have a stroke. I'm just going to be completely honest with you. That doesn't seem to, like it's science that's, that's speaking there. It sounds like it's Rachel Maddow that's speaking, and she doesn't strike me as a scientist. I mean, talk about this. I mean, getting back to like the transgender movement, Vanderbilt says no. Johns Hopkins says no. They're scientists. You're talking about scientists who are also becoming activists in the abortion movement. Please explore the idea. 
Yeah, so this is an interesting one because I think a lot of the times we hear from abortion supporters, oh, pro-lifers are anti-science, right? This is the, the craziest argument I think they have. It's so obvious that human life starts at the moment of conception, right? And then we can go on to have a debate about the ethical and moral implications of that, right? About personhood, maybe if we have to, these kind of philosophical debates about whether that, that human being has moral worth. But they're often the ones claiming this isn't even a human being. Okay, they want to say this is just a clump of cells or a parasite or part of the mother, and then they also want to be the pro-science ones. It's just simply crazy. They're not pro-science. They're rejecting science. Uh, you know, upwards of 95% of, of biologists affirm that life begins at conception, uh, and uh, they deny this regularly, right? But as you mentioned, we talk a bit in the book about the way uh, kind of the medical field has been co-opted by abortion, or in fact has has been a primary mover of the pro-abortion movement. I think we have this conception of, of legal abortion as being a women's issue, a women's rights issue. Uh, you know, feminists were behind the, the push for legal abortion in the 60s and 70s. But we explore in the book in great detail how uh, major medical organizations were actually the primary movers of the push for legal abortion um, leading up to Roe v. Wade. And they lobbied the Supreme Court very heavily and, and quite successfully. They made perhaps the most successful arguments pushing the justices to legalize abortion in the name of, of doctors' freedom, right, of the ability of doctors to perform abortions. Uh, and the idea was, well, if, when abortion was illegal in all these states before Roe, the people being punished were the doctors, not women. There were no states that were punishing women for getting abortions. States punished doctors for performing abortions. And so this, these groups of doctors, whether it was the American Medical Association or American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, uh, the kind of elite level of doctors ignoring the, the pro, many, many pro-life doctors below them, um, just decided we're going to lobby for legal abortion on the grounds that this is a matter of our medical judgment and us getting to exercise our medical judgment uh, free from legal penalty. And so they lobbied the court and they were successful. And you'll see today these groups are still uh, among the, the loudest pro-abortion voices out there. Well, that's why we have to be louder. We don't control the media. We we just don't. And that comes easy for media. us, Alexander. We're two crazy Italian people. That, 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 <laughs> I am too. Add me to the list. Good, right, good. Right, right, I like you, it. You, That's you, why we you get just along well. the club, whether you like it or not. Alexander <laughs> DeSantis joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, uh, tearing us apart. How abortion harms everything and solves nothing. Um, and Alexander, this I think is um, although it's a quick conversation, about a half hour conversation. Nonetheless, we we're, we're trying to. We, we have, first of all, we do have to open our mouths, all right? But we also have to be educated, too. We have to convince our pro-life brothers and sisters, okay? Again, not just Catholics, um, all, all those out there fighting for life, okay? We have that in common. We have our differences. This should be a unifier for us, okay? All those who value life, the Alveda kings of the world, okay? Uh, who is not Catholic, but who's on the front line with Father Frank Pavone, okay? And people like that. We, what we need to do is we need to be, I think, fearless, in our defense of the unborn and open our mouths wherever we can, because they do have MSNBC, they do have CNN, they have the New York Times, and people can't just dismiss that and say, well, we know that, well, we know it, but we can't really do anything about it, and their message still gets out there, okay? So even in our small ways, at the front line with Joe and Joe or other podcasts or wherever it might be, we have to open our mouth. Alexander, talk about the need in this, this culture war, because that's abortion is just a front in the, the larger culture war. I think you would agree with that. Okay. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, in this culture war, uh, the need to, to, to really, to, to not fear anything, to be fearless in the defense of the unborn. I'll speak to that a little bit. 
Yeah, we talk about this a bit in the book too, in our conclusion, because I think a lot of times we, when we talk about abortion or think about it, people can feel very uh, overwhelmed and rightly so, right? What can I do to possibly stop this huge, horrendous evil? And so the way we put it in the book is uh, no one can do everything, right? But each of us can do something. And it will depend a bit on our, our state in life. Maybe it's volunteering at a, a pregnancy resource center. Maybe it's donating to one. Uh, maybe it's you know welcoming a, a new life into your family under difficult circumstances you name it, right? There's countless things we can do, but it is important for all of us to do something. And this is what motivated us to write the book because we were thinking we're kind of, we're heading into a kind of the brave new future of the pro-life movement here. Let's arm people with the arguments they need so that they can talk about this confidently. And it is, we have to start with, uh, you know, the case that this kills innocent human beings, the dignity of every human life. We have to start there, but we have to go beyond that too, right? And we have to be able to talk to the people around us about the fact that abortion actually does harm them. And there's this attitude of, well, it's not my problem. I wouldn't get an abortion. You know, I don't want my daughter to get an abortion, but let's just kind of let people do their own thing. It's not the place of government. That's not true. Abortion has harmed all of us. Uh, And I think it's really important for all of us to to understand that, to internalize that, and then to be motivated by that reality to convince other people that it's true as well. I want to, and, and, and we have to make sure that people go out and buy your book, Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. I'm going to make one quick comment. We probably only have enough time for maybe a question or two, which I'll hand over to Joe Resinello. Um, if people want something to do now, again, I'm going to throw a statistic out there to you, Alexandra, maybe you've you've not, maybe you could confirm that for me. If people want something to do in this, in this battle, okay, for life, really, okay, innocent human life. Now, these are from people that I spoke to a lot with when I used to go down in New York City. I'm not in New York City anymore, uh, at old St. Patrick's Cathedral, and we used to process down to Planned Parenthood, okay, sometimes confronted by the crazies, and I call them the crazies affectionately, and sometimes not. However, in speaking to people who have been on the ground for for years, they told me that praying in, when there are prayer warriors in front of an abortion clinic, okay, the no-show rate at Planned Parenthood is about 75%. Okay? Now, does that mean the woman who decides not to go because she sees a bunch of Catholics out there praying the rosary won't make a, you know, a new appointment? We don't know. Uh, your quick comment on that. Uh, if people want to do something, I think that's a perfect place to start. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. And I don't know that statistic in particular, but I do know that sidewalk counselors make a huge difference just kind of telling women on their way in, here's a pamphlet, here are other options. You don't, you don't have to choose abortion, right? They, you don't need to get in the woman's face. You don't need to be insulting as the abortion uh, movement tries to portray pro-lifers. That's by and large not what's happening, but just kind of standing there and saying there is another way, right? You can choose life and I'll help you. I think that makes a big difference. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Alexandra DeSantis. First, although we probably have time for one more question. You know, Alexandra, you, you said something uh, re- recently about how it's not like f- good for women. Abortion is not good for women. Now, you said like maybe it's not good for me, but it's not my choice to impose myself. But, you know, some it hurts women. That's, I think, one of their biggest like lies. It's pro women. No, no, it's not pro women. Woman, they, women are hurt after they have abortion psychologically. I mean, go through some of 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 the, you know, I guess like issues that they cope with after women have abortion, because it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, whether you're a Democrat or you're a Republican, whether you're Catholic or you're not Catholic. If you have an abortion and you're a woman, you are going to be hurt by it. Please educate our listeners about about that truth. 
Yeah, absolutely. So this, we talk about this in great detail in the second chapter of the book. And I think it's really important, maybe the most important thing to learn how to talk about, because the most common pro-abortion argument is that women need abortion, right? Women are better off because they have access to it. And so I think we have to really understand on a deep level how much of a lie that is. And I think it starts just kind of theoretically thinking about what this is. If we're killing a human being in an abortion, that means a mother is choosing to kill a child. That can be morally neutral, right? That can't relief or it gets her out of a difficult situation, there's no world in which that's actually a solution for her or to her problems. That can only harm her and her whole family and in the end, all of us. Uh, but just looking at kind of discrete harms or specific harms that then manifest from abortion, there's uh, the possibility of immediate physical harm. So complications, side effects of having the abortion procedure that happen right then. That's most common with chemical abortions, which are on the rise. They're now more than half of all abortions. And these are abortions women administer to themselves at home. Uh, oftentimes don't have medical follow-up care. They don't know if they're supposed to, be, supposed to go to the emergency room. Uh, these types of problems can arise immediately. So that's one. Uh, there's uh, the possibility of long-term complications. That could be uh, problems in future pregnancies as a result of having had an abortion, which is, you know, not every woman, of course, but certainly some. Uh, there's a, an increased risk of breast cancer among women who have an abortion later in pregnancy. This is well documented, although rejected by abortion rights supporters. There's a clear document link. Uh, and then finally, psychological consequences. And this is something that many women who have abortions grapple with. That's why there's groups like, you know, uh, Project Rachel or the Sisters of Life who help care for these women, you know, many more than just those help care for these women after the fact, but things like depression, anxiety, alcohol, drug abuse, uh, suicidal ideation, all of these, there's, there's documentation that the rates of experiencing these types of mental health problems increase after abortion, sometimes by over 100%. Alexandra DeSantis, so what you're really saying is abortion harms everything and solves nothing. Exactly. exactly. We have to leave it there. It's such a wonderful, it's such a joy to have you on the show. Okay. And we hope you come back soon and maybe we could have a, a larger conversation. We encourage everyone out there. You can buy the book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble when it does come out. You can pre-order it now. The book is Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. The authors, uh, Alexandra DeSantis and Ryan Anderson, right? He's your co-author on this, Alexandra, correct? That's right. Yes. Excellent. And thank you so much for coming on the show. We look forward to having you back. We want to thank you all out there for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. We do have another segment to come. We're going to have another guest on the other side, uh, and we're going to continue the conversation on abortion. So the conversation's not going to end until abortion ends, all right? So we're going to keep talking about it at the front line with Joe and Joe. Alexandra, thanks again. Stick around, everybody else. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the Focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app.
Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Russinello. We are way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. We spent the first part of the conversation. Um, for those of you just joining us, we were talking about talking with uh, Alexandra DeSanctis, and we were talking about abortion and her new book about how abortion harms everyone and solves nothing. Okay, that's an important uh, part of the conversation. We're happy to be joined uh, in this half hour to continue the conversation, um, particularly about what's going on out there right now uh, by a friend of the show, Father Stephen Imbarato, the protest priest. Um, so with that, we're just going to jump right in because uh, there's a lot to talk about. Joe Resinello, I'm going to hand it over to you. Father Steve, tell us about who Jane's Revenge is. People aren't talking about it in the mainstream media. Please educate our listeners about the violence that's been perpetrated on the pro-life centers around the country since the uh, leak of uh, the potential uh, Roe uh, issue that's coming out in the Supreme Court. Well, as of this broadcast, nobody really knows who Jane's Revenge is, whether it's an organized group or whether it's just a name that violent pro-aborts who want to perpetrate uh, damage and vandalism and intimidation, fear, terrorism on the pro-life community specifically. Well, they've, they've attacked Catholic churches. They've attacked pregnancy resource centers, both Catholic, Protestant. I think um, the Family Research Council uh, has recorded over 50 articles as of this broadcast uh, relating to uh, uh, violence against uh, uh, pro-life or pro-life related institutions. Um, so nobody knows really who Jane's revenge is. Surely the FBI and the Justice Department don't much care who Jane's revenge is. Uh, but you know, it should not surprise anyone. Of course, they're calling for a night of rage, right? They're uh, whatever night, uh, whatever day Roe versus Wade is overturned, they're calling for a night of rage uh, at 8 p.m. I would say every pro-lifer in the country should be aware and should be willing to and ready to defend uh, whatever they feel is near and dear to their heart. Because if you're a pro-life activist, who's uh, going to stop them from coming to your home and possibly possibly going after your family. Uh, so um, um, this is a dangerous situation, I think. You know, I've been intact in front of abortion facilities all over the country over my three decades of doing pro-life work. Uh, they are bringing it to us now, and it shouldn't surprise anyone, because if you think it's okay to kill babies up to the day of birth, uh, terrorize babies in the womb, then you're capable of doing anything, right? Father Stephen Imbarato joining us on the front line. What, what, only because it triggered what you just said triggered a thought in my head. Is California seriously considering legislation to allow parents to kill their babies up until the first month after they're born? Have you heard about this? Or am I? Well, well supposedly Massachusetts, I think it was Massachusetts, who already passed such legislation. The pro boards are claiming that uh, it doesn't do that. But basically what it is is saying that you know, you're not going to give a due and proper medical aid to a child who was born under certain circumstances up to possibly even days after the birth. Uh, you know, again, that, to me, this is this is, uh, you know, Steven Pinker and uh, Peter Singer and, and mm -hmm. Steven Pinker have been talking about this since the early 90s. 
locus of consciousness uh what you know what is a person and everything else uh, i i think at this point in time considering that we're looking at the overturning of roe versus wade uh this is a story for another time but that shouldn't surprise anyone either because birth is arbitrary right birth is an arbitrary point in the development of a human being being the only absolute points in the lives of uh you joe me Joe Resinello is what? The moment of conception and the moment of natural death. Everything else, we're just developing uh, from a few cells right up to uh, the day we die. And, uh, you know, that's it. So uh, uh, I'm looking forward to Roe versus Wade being overturned. I really like to talk about that because I really think that I can educate your listeners on uh, what this really is all about. And uh, I, I call it uh, rejoice, lament, rejoice. Uh, so there's uh, good news, bad news, and good news uh, with this decision coming up. Well, then, let, Joe, if you don't mind, follow, let it rip, because that's why we have you here, because you, you have your finger on the pulse of all this. So please rejoice, lament, rejoice. Have at it. Okay. So, first of all, um, Roe versus Wade being overturned exposes the lie that has been perpetrated on the American people for almost 50 years, that somehow there's been a constitutional right to abortion in this country. The pro-aborts have surely tried to convince everyone that it's a constitutional right, uh, and that constitutional right has to be protected for women as part of their health care, etc. There's never been a constitutional right to abortion. Roe versus Wade was was unconstitutional, was anti-constitutional, anti-personhood, and uh, now it's being exposed as such. I mean, Blackman intimated that in the original Roe versus Wade decision, that if we could ever unequivocally prove that life begins at conception, that it would render Roe moot, uh, and that personhood would kick in. So uh, that is the rejoice. Uh, the lament is that the United States will still be, after the overturning of Roe versus Wade, one of the top three most barbaric countries in the entire world where killing a baby up to the day of birth is perfectly legal. And there's plenty of jurisdictions in the United States, even if 20, 25 states completely ban abortion, there'll be plenty of jurisdictions in the United States that will allow abortion up to the day of birth. And the abortion industry has already uh, told us and really has shown that they're willing to incur any to make sure that any woman, uh, any time in a pregnancy who wants to kill her baby for any reason uh, will be able to do so. And of course, Biden is calling for a, uh, a state of uh, a public health emergency if Roe versus Wade is overturned, talking about using federal lands, maybe even Indian reservations, uh, federal buildings to put abortion facilities in. So this apostate Catholic is willing to uh, do anything he can to perpetrate the killing of babies up to the day of birth. And I play that at the feet of the bishops, right? Because the bishops are not going to do anything about this guy no matter what, right? So, so that's the lament, right? But the other rejoice is, and nobody's talking about this, right? So I'm giving you guys a scoop. After Roe versus Wade is illegal, uh, after Roe versus Wade is rendered uh, unconstitutional or uh, rendered moot, right? Here's the situation. A pregnant woman in Texas 
Our child in the womb has full constitutional rights because Texas will recognize the full constitutional rights of the baby in the womb. She steps over the the, uh, uh, state line into New Mexico. That baby will have absolutely no rights, and that woman can kill her baby up to the day of birth. In Missouri, a pregnant woman will have full constitutional rights, or her baby will have full constitutional rights in her womb. She crosses the river into Illinois. There'll be no constitutional rights for that baby. Now, traditionally, in the history of our country, the Supreme Court has dealt with these types of issues, right? Conflicts amongst the state that deal with the common good, right? And you're going to have this situation all over the country. Now, here's my opinion. Here's my opinion. You know, and I know that if the Supreme Court justices who want to overturn Roe versus Wade and they know, too, that if they wanted to do what was right and proper, based on Blackman, Blackman said what they know to be true under the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendment, they would overturn Roe versus Wade by recognizing personhood from the moment of conception under the Fifth and Fourteenth Amendment, right? Thus eliminating the excluded class that is the unborn right? And give constitutional protection to babies from the moment of conception, right? I believe, and I think that this is the reason why the leak was put out there, to kind of like a shot across the bow to see what the reaction would be in the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I think the Supreme Court justices know that this country is not ready yet to go from where we are to total constitutional protection under the 5th and 14th Amendment for the unborn from the moment of conception. So they're taking an incremental step by overturning Roe versus Wade and sending it back to the states. In doing so, they're creating this situation where you're going to have this conflict between states, one state to another, and we are now, I think, only one step away from the Supreme Court having to face the personhood issue. And once they face the personhood issue, they have no recourse, none whatsoever, other than to recognize a personhood from the moment of conception, again, under the fifth due process, equal protection of the law. So I think that that is really, I'm hoping at least that that what was in the mind of the justices. And, uh, uh, and I think that we're talking about possibly recognition of a personhood from the moment of conception, not decades away if Roe versus Wade is overturned, but years away. That's I mean, that would, of course, be incredible. It's it's sad that Joe and I agree with you on that, that that they have to go incrementally rather than being able to recognize under the fifth and 14th Amendment uh, uh, the right of a human being to, to his or her own life. But they're dealing. Hopefully you're right. I think I, I mean, sounds spot on to, and logical to us. And hopefully they have the courage. It might not even be. I, I don't know. It might be how, how let me ask you this in your opinion. How long is this intermediate phase, do you think? Or do you think some maybe some issues have to occur amongst the states to bring a lawsuit back to the Supreme Court where this very court that overturned Roe versus Wade is then going to have to answer that question? What do you anticipate? I know you're not a, you know, you can't tell the future, but what do you think? I'm hoping it's years, not decades. Uh, How many years? I'm not a legal expert, and I really don't. I can't conjure up in my mind a specific scenario where uh, the states would want to um, 
uh, bring a, a case against the Supreme Court. I'm telling you that it's setting up a scenario. I, again, I mean, if you think about the history of the Supreme Court in the 1800s, it's when, you know, state rights were in conflict, right? State laws were in conflict. Well, that's what that's what they're setting up. That's what they're setting up. Nobody's talking about. It. They're setting up a situation where state laws are not only going to be in conflict, they're going to be as black and white, right, disparate as they possibly can, where baby has no protection, no constitutional protection. Uh, and then across the state line, the baby has full constitutional protection. Uh, so I, I don't know. I can't answer that. I don't think anyone really thought that abortion was going to go on for 50 years. So I maybe I should be a little more pessimistic uh, and say, well, it, it could be a decade, not decades. But I, I think that that's uh, really where we're going. And I don't see any other. And, and so in the meantime, in the meantime, you know, the other part of this issue is what, what should we be doing? Well, we need to make sure that, <clears throat> that we are reallocating our resources from this national, right, the national corporate mainstream pro-life movement that has always been bringing in hundreds of millions, tens of millions of dollars, upwards to $100 million, $100 million amongst the big groups collectively, cumulatively, and start reallocating resources to local pregnancy centers, local activists, local post-abortion healing ministries, local student groups, uh, uh, and really start working on local legislation um, and uh, talking to pro-life lawyers in your state about what I just laid out. So again, that we can get this case back up into the Supreme Court. And it'll be a pro-life state that will have to bring it. They're going to be, uh, somebody is going to say, hey, look at, uh, you know, the state next to us is usurping our authority in terms of protecting these babies. Uh, do something about it. Uh, so how it all plays out, I don't know. But in the meantime, the fight continues and the fight's going to get nastier because now we have to deal with this distraction of potential violence because the, the other side has shown that what they do to babies, they're more than willing to do to any one of us who stand up for the babies. Very well said, Father Stephen Imbarato, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Rosanello, way in the breach because we're talking about abortion. And it's in and, you know, it's in the news. All right. And we're waiting as of the airing of this show. We, we don't know what the situation is. Uh, but right now, uh, excuse me, as of the air, as of the recording of this show, uh, Roe versus Wade has not yet been decided. We're waiting. We're anticipating that the justices will stiffen their spine. OK, that, that, that it's been acknowledged. This is the decision of five of the Supreme Court justices. OK, and that they're not going to back down on it particularly with pressure that's going to be brought to bear on them by Chief Justice John Roberts. You know what the left is going to do, but this guy, John Roberts, is probably applying pressure on them every day. But with that, I'm not going to go off on a diatribe. Uh, we have Father here because Father has his finger on the pulse of all this. I'm handing it I over to Joe Resinello. Guys, I think, it's going to be, I think it's going to be 6-3. I think it's going to be 6-3. There's, I mean, really? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I've said all along that... Justice Roberts, these guys all care about their legacy, right? I mean, especially Supreme Court, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, the court's named after him, right? This is the Roberts Court, right? The, um, so the Rehnquist Court, right? Uh, there's no, I'd be shocked, absolutely 
shocked if Roberts lines up on the losing end of an historical monumental that, that's decision. So such as this, that's right? so funny that's so funny you say that. Joe and I say on the show all the time. We don't we, we yeah. our, our our expectations nah, of him, it's gonna be, Father Imperano, are very low. <laughs> it's gonna be six three. I, I think it's gonna be six three. Right, well, you, uh, you heard it here, everybody. There's a prediction for you. Yeah, I I, I think it's gonna be six three. Now, I'm not I'm not I'm not lifting up Roberts. I think behind the scenes he is fighting tooth and nail, but I think when all is said and done, uh, he'd be an absolute fool, all right, to be on the losing end of a five four in this historic decision. So um, I think what he does is he tries to flip one of them. So it's five four the other way, right? Uh, and if he can't do it, he sides with the majority. All right. You heard it here. Joe Resinello. You know, legally speaking, and I've read a lot about it, particularly from uh, Robert George at Princeton, it's sound. And to your point, Father, if he is on the losing side of it, it's sad because legally speaking, Roe has no grounds. This is Robert George from Princeton University. Absolutely, 100%. Legally speaking, Roe has no grounds. Dershowitz has said so. I mean, I even believe Ruth Bader Ginsburg has, has said so in the past. It is constitutionally weak. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, and, you know, I, I yeah, I, I think even Blackman understood that. Right. Uh, and they lied. Of course, Jerome Lejeune said that the Supreme Court in 1973, when they said, well, we don't know when human life begins, but we don't need to know when human life begins to render this decision. Well, Jerome Lejeune said a couple of years after that, and he testified, I mean, he's the father of modern genetics. Uh, I think his cause is up for sainthood. But uh, uh, you know, he testified even in front of the United Nations, and, and he, he said that the, absolutely the Supreme Court knew, science knew that human life begins at conception. So uh, they contradicted themselves. And of course, it was a political decision uh, made in the midst of what? A sexual revolution, a feminist revolution. Uh, the world was uh, 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 topsy-turvy. And so the court is really just fixing what they messed up up almost 50 years ago. And I think, I, I hope, I believe, and maybe this is why um, uh, uh, Justice Roberts is really, really concerned, because if the other, uh, if the other five, if the other five say, look it, let's go all the way, let's recognize personhood from the moment of conception, Roberts is probably saying, well, then my court is going to be uh, known as the court that uh, started the Civil War. All right. Because and I think that's what they're concerned about. Hey, look at they overturn Roe versus Wade. It may start a civil war if they get to the point where they recognize person from the moment of conception. It's a little bit different than it happened. Right. We had the Civil War, then the Emancipation Proclamation. This time we'll have the Emancipation Proclamation and then the Civil and the War. war. But uh, but so be it. I mean, so be it. If that's what comes to pass, um, this is the defining moment in the history of our country. We see where our country's going. And I really think that uh, uh, I don't want a civil war. And of course, we won't perpetrate the civil war. No pro-lifer will. But surely the other side, if they want a war, then uh, we'll, we'll see how that all plays out, right? Father Imperato, let me ask you a question. Um, you, obviously, this is something that you've been intimately involved with for decades, okay? Where is, you know, people, people throw around numbers all the time, okay? Where is the country 
as far as abortion on the level of, now I'm not asking for exact numbers, but from your vantage point, abortion, abolition, accommodation on abortion and abortion on demand. Where is the country as a whole? Where, where do most Americans fall? Well, I, I, look, that's an impossible question to answer, but I will tell you that 20, 25% of the country are hardcore pro-life, no exceptions. 20, 25% of the country are abortion on demand, and then you have anywhere from 50 to 60% of the country have no clue what the hell they think or how they feel. And I don't think those numbers have changed in 50 years in spite of our billions and billions of dollars probably in the pro-life movement spent on education, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I've been saying this all along. If you look at what happened with the Supreme Court legitimizing sodomy and same-sex marriage and how the opinions changed after the Supreme Court decision, right, it's legal and far too many people equate illegal with moral. Once the Supreme Court recognizes person from the moment of conception, now, as future generations come along, we can talk to them and educate them about why abortion was horrific, why abortion was uh, 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 unthinkable, right, an abomination, uh, and because these babies were always precious, unique, and unrepeatable from the moment of conception, made in the image and likeness of God. But until the Supreme Court, because you guys have heard me say, right, what's the single biggest reason why women have abortions? It's not because of a bad man. It's not because of their opportunities or lack of opportunities or their current situation. No, it's the fact that it's legal. The overwhelming majority of women have abortions in this country because it's legal. And once it's illegal, and e and especially if it's illegal to the point where there's a legal risk for each and every single one of them, you will see very, very few abortions happening in this country. It'll take 100 years, just like after the Emancipation Proclamation, took 100 years to bring us to civil rights in the 1960s. It'll take 100 years once uh, uh, personhood from the moment of conception is recognized for us to work out all the legal nuances, that's why the legal industry should be saying, hey, let's bring on personhood from the moment of conception, because what do you do about birth control? What do you do about IVF, right? What do you do about any number of issues that are going to now have to be worked out after personhood is recognized from the moment of conception? But at least that point in time, going forward, the default position will be that these babies have constitutional rights from the moment of conception. Father, Father those Steve. the statements make people secular people who might be listening their their hair stand up <laughs> when you mention. I, I, ho I hope so, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you because when so. you talk about like contraception, I mean that turns the culture on its. Ear. And frankly, you know, like you said, a lot of people don't think past the hand in front of their face. Um, obviously, abortion is driven by sex, the sexual revolution, and the horse is out of the barn. And to your point, and I agree with you 100%, it's going to take 100 years to change the culture. Without a question, people are going to go berserk, father, berserk. And where and this is where I want to go with this. Where's the Biden administration? They talk about domestic terrorists. All the violence has take that has taken place in the last month. He hasn't said a word. He has not said a word. It is pathetic. 
And you mentioned violence afterwards. There's absolutely going to be violence. Where is he going to go with this? Is he even going to respond? You know, where are the bishops, though? Where, I mean, again, don't forget the Democratic Party and Biden exist as the party that thinks it's okay to kill babies up to the day of birth because of the USCCB. If the USCCB stood up to the Democratic Party and Biden and said, you take the abortion plank out of your platform, or we're just dropping all support for anything in your platform, the Democratic Party would be at a crossroads because 50% of Catholics vote for Democrats. And that's why they remain in any semblance of power. So it's the bishops, it's the bishops, it's the bishops, right? And isn't it amazing that the bishops, uh, save a few, are completely silent in the face of this in the face of this violence, right? The violence is being perpetrated against the Catholic Church more than anyone else, and we're not seeing an outrage from the USCCB. We're not seeing the 300 bishops, and they were just all together in California just a couple of weeks ago, you know, come together for a photo op and and demanding uh, that the violence of abortion and the violence against pro-lifers and uh, uh, the Biden administration, uh, you know, it, nothing, nothing, nothing. Nothing, nothing. So, you know, this is this is the group of guys who said there has to be civility in politics, right? There's never going to be civility in politics as long as we're mass murdering babies up to the day of birth. They said well, yeah, flat out, out, if abortion is not safe, neither are you. We didn't make those words up. We're not being inflammatory. This group, like you said, whether it's some amorphous group or whatever the case might be, but they're 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 their little flyers say, if abortion's not safe and legal, okay, then neither are you. And this is what we're dealing with. I'd like to ask you a question because we only have a few minutes left, Father Imbarato, joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. You said work on a local level. Now, I live in Arizona now, all right? And you're familiar with Arizona. You were in New Mexico for a while, right next door. My understanding from the Catholics here, the men that I've been involved with here praying in front of abortion clinics, is that if Roe is overturned in the state of Arizona, abortion is banned. It triggers, it goes back to pre-Roe, which was no abortion. Now what do we do? Because here's a challenge, and I'd love for you to speak a few minutes on this. Here's a challenge. You're going to have a push in those states that now have banned, have banned abortion. They're going to try to legalize it in the state, at least first trimester, first four months, five, five, 15 weeks. They're going to try to come up with some accommodation. What do we do about that? We only have a couple minutes left, Father. Well, that's why involvement in local politics is going to be so important, right? Uh, but again, I think that we're only in an interim period where the Supreme Court knows that there's an untenable situation where you have New Mexico between Arizona and Texas. Texas and Arizona have complete constitutional protection for the unborn, and then New Mexico has no protection at all. It's an untenable situation. It's only going to last a few years, and then it's all going to be over if, indeed, again, and this is why we need to maintain a conservative majority in the court. Uh, you know, so uh, I, I think you need to be involved in local politics and hold the line. Uh, so I, again, I, I think that people need to pray fast and give alms, uh, work locally, uh, and uh, do what's necessary to, to hold the line uh, and then pray that our Lord does deliver person from the moment of conception as soon as possible let's uh uh that that would be the beginning of the end right again it could take a hundred years but at least to be the beginning of the end roe versus wade being overturned is really not the beginning of the end it's the uh, beginning of the beginning of the end or the end or maybe, of the beginning or, of the or end, maybe like right? churchill said it, it it's it's the it's the end of the beginning right 
you know, like after the Battle of Britain. This is the end of the beginning. The fight for 50 years, okay, uh, is, okay, now that fight may very well, like you said, be coming to an end, but that's just the end of the beginning. The fight goes on. We have to leave it there, Father Stephen and Murado. Yeah. As always, you're a friend of the show. You've been a very good friend of the show, um, and we thank you for your insight on this issue. It's important for everybody to know, uh, and thank you all out there for listening to us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faiths of the New York City metropolitan area. So Thank you once more for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. And remember, until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you.